0: Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there's so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there. And you're tired of the senseless and toxic diet culture noise. You're ready to tune into your body,
1: feel empowered around food, and focus on your true health and well-being. Welcome to the Wellness Rebranded podcast. We're the healing trio of your
0: health and wellness anti-diet dreams. I'm
1: Tara, personal trainer... I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm Maura, licensed clinical social worker. Together, we're pushing back on diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity to help you practice genuine health-promoting self-care. So grab
0: your water bottle, forget the rules, and let's start rebranding your wellness journey. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Rebranded. I'm Tara, and I'm here with Elizabeth today. Maura's not with us today. She had something come up last minute, so you are here with us. And we are super excited today because we are talking about how to raise intuitive eaters. And I have to say, Elizabeth has this course called Mastering the Art of Raising an Intuitive Eater that I have taken myself. I have a two and a half year old, as you've probably heard before, and I loved it. It's absolutely been a game changer with how I look at food when I'm feeding my child and the things that I stress about and don't stress about. And now I don't stress about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But I found it super, super helpful. So if you want more info than what we can do in this episode, I would definitely, definitely check that out. We'll link it in the show notes below.
1: Thank you so much for that. I loved having you in that workshop. Yeah, it's a digital course mm-hmm. and we'll link it in the show notes. So the topic of raising intuitive eaters with food and body confidence is near and dear to my heart. This is very much just a passion project for me to get out into the world. In that course in particular, I tend to work with people who have lost years of their life to dieting and diet culture. And I look at this as if we can help raise the next generation as intuitive eaters outside the confines of diet culture, we can really work together to help the next generation avoid some of those struggles with food and body that are just so common. Yeah. It'll be like changing society at like the ground floor level. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that super important. Yeah. One of the things that Evelyn Trebly always says about intuitive eating is that it's ending the legacy of diet culture within families. And I just love that. I love that, too. I think it just captures it so perfectly. So We've spoken before, we all at this point hopefully know that diet culture is synonymous with pressure, right? Pressure to eat a certain way, pressure to look a certain way, pressure to exercise a certain way, pressure to have a certain type of body, pressure around how we think of food. I wanted to start off today with some, I guess in a way, difficult statistics, but I think they're important to get out there because they remind us that adults are not the only ones to feel that pressure. So there's some... Really scary statistics, frankly, from various research studies that show even children as young as preschoolers, so as young as three and four years old, can experience body dissatisfaction, but also they're able to connect talk of healthy eating with thinness. So they're already making Uh, that association at three and four years old. I hate that. Me too. 81% of 10-year-olds in this one particular research study have said that they're afraid to be fat. Nearly half of kids age 9 to 11 either have tried or frequently diet. And even just around, again, another research study, 42% of first to third graders express a desire to be thinner. So think about those statistics where those are all talking about kids under the age of 11 years old. Man, you shouldn't even be worried about anything at those ages. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's super, super sad. And then between the years 2000 and 2018, the incidence, and again, this is at the extreme, talking about eating disorders, but it doubled in those years. It's probably higher because Mm -hmm. a lot of them go unreported, And they have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. And then that's not even counting all of the other kids who may struggle with challenging body image or disordered eating or dieting or just plain feel badly in diet culture.
0: I don't have any like stats to back this up, although I'm sure they are there. But even in my work, I've seen that it used to be eating disorders were like predominantly female. Mm -hmm. Now we see it almost equal numbers.
1: Yeah, they impact everybody, male, female, all genders. They also all the stereotype of the person you imagine As you know, thin, white teenager with an eating disorder, it's it's just frankly not true. They impact everybody at every age and Mm -hmm. every body shape and size. So how do we raise kids with food and body confidence? Well, in my opinion, intuitive eating is the best tool to do that. And there's research to back it up. Intuitive eating has been linked with lower rates of depression, higher self-esteem, better body image. It also can reduce stress at mealtimes, encourage kids to eat a wider variety of foods, and just really is a much more positive, I believe, health-promoting way of looking at food, exercise, and having a body for our kids. Totally agree. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here. Yeah. So how do you do that? I want to start off a little bit differently, which is just to talk about the fact that we're all actually, with very few exceptions, we're... Pretty much all born intuitive eaters. And if you think about a baby, they cry when they're hungry, they turn away when they're full, and it's pretty difficult to overfeed a baby. They just simply won't take any more food. Likewise, when they get a little bit older, they start taking solid foods, they're still mostly listening to their bodies eating when they're hungry, stopping when they're full. And they also are really good at telling us what they like and what they don't like, right? They will just throw it on the floor, close their (laughs) mouth, refuse to take it if they don't want any more food. I have to tell you, that statement gave me so much comfort
0: when I was like learning how to be a mother because I felt like, oh my God, is he getting enough food? Maybe I should be like weighing him after breastfeeding or measuring his bottles or, you know, how do I know if he's getting enough? And even with solid foods, I really stressed about it until I took your course. Mm -hmm. And I kind of realized, like, he's not going to go hungry. Yeah. He's going to get food at some point. So Uh I don't need to worry about, like, he's not eating any veggies. Like, it'll come. Right. And now it feels much more, like, calm for me, even though he probably didn't notice any difference. So much less
1: pressure around it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if we're all born intuitive eaters, then what happens? Well, Diet culture happens, especially as kids get older, although, as we just heard, it impacts even really little tiny little kids. Ones. But also some messages that we can get from our families in childhood can also pull us away from that innate intuitive eating ability. And I actually just really want to preface this by saying, if you are lis- if you listen to today's episode and find no matter how old your kids, first of all. No matter how old your kids are, this topic is for you. They do not have to be little preschool age or two year olds or babies that we're talking about. It is never, ever too late to change or model a different relationship with food. Amen to that. So, and that my course likewise is suitable for parents of all age kids. Also, if you are listening to today's episode and you find yourself thinking, oh, I'm doing some of the things that they're suggesting not to do, I just want to say to you, it's okay. There's no judgment around that. I'm very open in saying I probably, I was not yet a dietitian, nor did I know about intuitive eating when my kids were younger, and I pretty much made every mistake in the book. If I could go back, knowing- I feel like that's motherhood. Yeah, right? <laughs> So true, Tara. If I could go back, I would do so many things differently now. And in fact, I do do them differently now. And I've seen the benefits in my older children. Now they're all high school and college age. But I saw it even when they were middle school, high school ages for making some of these changes. So just know that it's okay if you're not doing what we're talking about today. And it's never too late to kind of shift the tone around food in your house. So some things that may pull kids away from those innate intuitive eating abilities are messages that we get from our families as children. And I always also like to say these things come from a well-meaning place for In nearly all cases, it's a parent who loves their child and is doing what they think is the best thing to do, but they have unintended consequences that we may not be aware of. So things like encouraging our kids to clean their plates or requiring them to eat a certain number of bites before they can get up from the table. Those have the unintended consequence of teaching kids to ignore or override their fullness cues or their hunger cues. If I'm a parent and I'm saying to a child, well, you have to finish your plate, finish what's on your plate before you can get up. I'm essentially saying I have more knowledge than you or your body about how much food you need. And that which is so ridiculous. It is when you think about it. And yet I did that to my children. i I I totally done it. Yeah, I tried to get them to finish what was on their plate because I was concerned that they weren't getting enough Mm -hmm. otherwise. Some other things are telling a child or a kid that they have to, for example, eat their vegetables or their chicken before they can get dessert. Yes. When we do that, we are accidentally putting food on a hierarchy. So that in the child's mind, the veggies and the chicken are something they have to slog through in order to get the wonderful dessert.
0: I struggle with this even current day for myself Mm -hmm. because I know that I love like vegetables and starch, but protein is not usually my favorite thing on the plate. So subconsciously, I'll be like, "Okay, eat all your chicken and then you can have your veggies. (laughs) You know, like I have to force myself to get it in probably because of like, you know, a million years ago growing up, something like that was said (laughs) to me at some point.
1: Yeah. So instead, if we put all of the food out in front or what feels like an appropriate serving of dessert with the rest of the food and let the child pick and choose what they eat and don't eat, that might be more helpful way to approach it so that you're not setting it up on a hierarchy or at least doing that occasionally. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, after I took your class, I was very skeptical of this mm-hmm. thing
0: because I thought for sure if I just put dessert out with the dinner, there was no way Mavs was going to eat all the like good food, mm-hmm. right? And he was just going to go straight to dessert and that would be that. But I overcame my insecurities about it and I served a meal that was like chicken, some steamed veggies, some blueberries, some rice and a cookie. Mm-hmm. No, it was pudding. And I put it all on the plate and I was like, let's see what happens. And sure enough, he ate like little bits of all of it and went like in a circuit (laughs) around the plate like twice. Yeah. Um, And he didn't eat all of anything, but he also didn't just go for the pudding. He was like, oh, veggies, yum. But then went back to pudding and then all the things. And I was kind of like, wow, that's not at all what I expected out of my toddler, honestly.
1: Yeah, because he, in his mind, they're all sort of neutral. He's young enough that, and that's not to say that he wouldn't do that every day, right? But Mm -hmm. when you take some of the pressure off and that is your approach generally, you start to realize they really do eat a wide variety of foods, Mm -hmm. most kids, when given the opportunity. Some other statements like saying that food has too much sugar in it or it's not healthy or using food as a reward or a bribe or taking it away. As a form of punishment, are all things that could impact a child's relationship with food. It could pull them away from its body cues. It could potentially introduce emotional eating or what we might think of as emotional eating. Yeah. So, those are just some of the ways that we may inadvertently be giving messages around food that ultimately may not be that helpful. So, I think the first thing that I would encourage parents to know about raising intuitive eaters is sort of what is the parent's job and what is the child's job when it comes to eating. And I think as parents, we feel like it's our job to get our child to eat, but that's actually Mm -hmm. not our job. So our job is to the best of our ability to provide a wide variety of foods lots of nutrient-dense foods and fun foods too, give the child plenty of opportunity to experiment with all of them to see how they feel in their body, to notice the difference and to listen to their body and its cues and their taste preferences while letting the child decide what and how much your child would actually like to eat. That's really different and a really hard shift for a lot of parents to make, especially depending how old your child is and how long you maybe have been doing it the other way. But it goes to a lot of what you were saying about some of the shifts you've made.
0: Yeah, it definitely was a huge mindset shift for me. You know, and I've read things like it's okay to put chips in their lunch, for example. Most of us would probably consider chips not like a really high nutrient dense food. But putting them in a bag in their lunch, like the bag is exciting mm-hmm. for a kid, right? It's crunchy. It makes noise. So taking them out of that and it just becomes like food. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these little tricks and tips were super helpful for me and still are. But now I've like absorbed them a little bit more and they're just kind of like part of my parenting style. Yeah. Rather than something I have to think about to do. Right. Right.
1: So as much as possible, we can try to think about avoiding pressuring kids. It's really, really common to try to pressure kids to eat. And we may be thinking in our head, well, I'm not pressuring them. I'm just encouraging them. I know I tried every trick in the book. And I wouldn't maybe at the time have identified it as pressure. Looking back, I can see that it actually was. So what are some examples of that? Well, rewarding your child Well, if you eat this, then we can go to the Mm -hmm. playground, right? Or enforcing try it bites. Yes. People have different... I struggle with that. Yeah. Because I want them to try all the things, Uh but I don't want to force food on them either. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. And so the best way to encourage your child to try things is just to serve it many, many times in different ways and allow them the freedom to pick it up and play with it and explore it and smell it and put it down. And maybe next time they actually take a nibble or Mm -hmm. give them sauces and dips and different things. Uh, We um, went to the beach last summer and we got like soft serve ice cream cones.
0: And Mavs didn't want to try it. He was, like, adamant that mm-hmm. he did not want that food. And Marcus just kind of took the ice cream and, like, bombed him in the face with it. Mm-hmm. And so he, like, tasted it and was kind of like, oh, give it to me. So we would, like, give him a little lick. And then he'd be like, more, more. No. And pretty soon he just took the whole ice cream and just, like, took this massive bite. And, of course, he discovered brain freeze.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ouch.
0: It's kind of funny because I don't advocate, like, forcing your kids to try stuff, but... That was
1: just, like, really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I did. Yeah. yeah. Aw, that is cute. Even though we probably don't want to bunker our shit over <laughs> the <that> with asparagus. <laughs> May
0: not have the same impact. <laughs> Might not be the same. <laughs> I have discovered that calling broccoli dinosaur trees is really helpful, though. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, that's way more fun than broccoli.
1: Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, and then just think about even things like maybe you're not making your child eat something. And this, especially as they get a little bit older, but you might be making a comment that expresses judgment if they don't yeah. eat it. Or, well, okay, I just spent a couple of hours in the kitchen, but if you're not going to eat it, right, right or making don't them want to be
0: big and strong? Yeah,
1: making them feel guilty. So there's all sorts of ways or, or comments like you're having another one, like that yeah. could be perceived— As judgmental the other way, right? Um, Shaming or making a child feel bad for what they are eating. Or even labeling kids as you're such a difficult eater or you're such a picky picky eater. eater. Things like that are just generally not very helpful. There's lots and lots of research to show that restrictive feeding practices are associated with more eating. So like when parents try to have very restrictive approaches to what foods they will or won't allow their kids to eat. The research shows that those child tend to eat more and it's associated with increased weight gain. Not that I'm saying there's anything bad with that, but just shows the opposite Mm. of the effect. And likewise, pressure to eat is linked with less eating and decreased Mm. weight gain. So I think that's one thing that is really eye opening and helpful is like to know that those don't work anyway. Mm. Right. We do them because we think we should and it feel maybe that's what we were taught to do or we're genuinely worried about our child's, you know, not growing fast enough or growing too fast or whatever it is, but it actually doesn't doesn't, actually work. Yeah. The research shows (laughs) it has the exact opposite effect. Yikes. So, well, that's disheartening, right? (laughs) So, that's one thing, and we don't unfortunately, there's so many nuances to this. And I'm sure if you're listening and you have a young child, you're probably having a lot of questions come up, but yeah, but I tried it and like it didn't work, or yeah, please don't feel guilty. (laughs) Like I said, every mistake in the book I practically made, same, but so I'm sure there are lots of questions coming up for you. We can't unfortunately maybe we could do another episode where we just talk about what's called the division of feeding responsibility. But for now, just kind of at a high level, that's one of them is just getting really clear on what's your job when it comes to feeding, what's your child's job when it comes to eating, and then where may you be putting pressure on your child without even realizing it. So looking at that would be a great first step. The next step, is really what you might think of as developing your intuitive eating voice as a parent. So remember, intuitive eating is, it's weight neutral. It is compassionate because we want our kids to be compassionate towards themselves. And it really conveys trust in your child's food preferences and their body and their body signals and we want to avoid labeling foods so we don't want to call them good or bad or healthy or unhealthy or clean or junk food to our children and the reason why or to anyone right i mean in general yes i very much try to get out of the healthy unhealthy mindset food is morality yeah because it's morality it's also black and white and eating isn't black and white and all foods really can fit in a health promoting diet unless of course you have a life threatening allergy or a specific medical condition But when we call them good or bad, kids can start to think of themselves as good or bad based on what they're eating. They can start to take on that identity. But also by avoiding labeling foods like that, it's free of pressure. It's not fear inducing. Right. Our goal is to keep food neutral. Food is just food. Even when we say things like, well, it has too much sugar in it or that has too many calories or that's empty calories or things like that are just generally not that helpful. It can introduce pressure. It can introduce kind of fear mongering. It can interfere with a child's relationship with food where we want them to think of to be able to listen to their bodies without the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and the guilt and all of that kind of stuff. I imagine this impacts their mental health, too. Well, certainly your relationship with food and your body impacts your mental health. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's easy to hear this and think wait, is she just telling me to like give my kid whatever they want whenever they want? No, because remember, you're the adult or the caregiver and you still get to decide which foods you put out, but hopefully you're just making it a wide variety and then allowing the child. And there definitely are going to be times when you have to say no to certain foods for various reasons. So maybe just think about how you say no. I really like the phrase, it's not on the menu right now. Ugh, I like that phrase. So too. it's not good or bad. It's not clean or junk. It's just not on the menu right now. Mm-hmm. Or I hear you. That sounds like a really yummy thing. We're not going to have it right now, but I'll make sure we add it to lunch tomorrow or I'll buy it at the grocery store next week. So I'm, I've been using that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so when you do have to say no, think about how you can keep it neutral. If you can avoid blaming it on the food itself or your child or your child's choices. So instead of saying, no, you've had too much sugar today or that food isn't good for you, can you keep it neutral so that it's more centered on it's not time for that or we have to save that for another day or we have to Mm -hmm. save that for so-and-so or... We're really into not yet mm -hmm. in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Big phrase. Yeah, that's a good one. And I love that because it implies that we will. Yeah. Yeah. not yet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just think about neutrality with food and how can you introduce more neutrality into the conversation around food into how you're saying yes or no to your child. Um, Another one is just to watch how you talk about bodies in your household. If you want to raise kids with food and body confidence, how we talk about and model approaching other bodies is really, really important. So, can you let your child know that you love and accept their body just as it is without feeling like you need to change it? Make it known in your house that healthy bodies come in all shapes and sizes. Body diversity is real and beautiful. I really like the phrase, all bodies are good bodies. Me too. <laughs> Think about how much emphasis you're placing on appearance. Instead of putting the emphasis on how a child looks, can you put it on like what their body allows them to do? Run, jump, you do play. We do this a lot in my house, like
0: Oh, you're so strong. Thanks for doing this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, my son likes to carry the gallons of water Mm -hmm. in various places in the house. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes not. Um, But having a strong body is like the big goal that we talk about in our
1: house. Yeah. So put the emphasis on function, complement their personality or their hobbies or their strengths or their talents or yeah. how much effort they put into something. There's so many things you can
0: compliment a child on mm-hmm. or a human on. Right. How we look is like the least interesting thing
1: about it. Yeah. You know? And this would be a good time to say if you want to learn more about how to make your home a diet culture free zone, we actually have an episode on that. Yeah, so you can Go back and listen to that. One of my favorites. Get more specific tips about that. But Also, do what you can to normalize normal bodies. So call out media portrayals of bodies in age-appropriate ways. Think about how you can have those conversations and get your values around it out there instead of the media's or the outside narrative. You know,
0: I'm not some sort of goober on this, but I noticed, like, Disney movies when I was growing up, the main character was always, like, skinny, gorgeous, the Little Mermaid, Aladdin and Jasmine, Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, And now we're seeing movies that have a lot more like strong leads, Mm. Um, you know, Encanto has a girl in it that's like super strong, That's you know, and she is sizable and she's not like the classic Disney princess.
1: So I love to hear that. I'm out of the Disney phase of
0: movies, so I'm maybe not familiar with. I'm not quite into it yet, (laughs) but we're like dipping our toes (laughs) in and I'm seeing the difference. I really am. Okay, interesting. I'm encouraged
1: because I think the flip side of that is think about how the villains are usually portrayed. Ursula was like, you know, The Little Mermaid is my favorite movie and Ursula was like huge and mean. and Yeah. And so think about the message that that sends to kids. And so even just sparking an age-appropriate conversation about that, why do you think they did that? And isn't that kind of silly? And like, you know, when your kids talk about bodies, I think our natural inclination, like here's a prime example of something that might happen with a, a child might say, like, mommy, why is so-and-so fat, right? Mm-hmm. Or why am I fat? And then a very common reaction is to say, oh, no, 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 you're not fat. You're beautiful. For sure. Implication is that you can't, you be, can't be those. So how can you neutralize that and meet their questions with neutrality, but also curiosity and just get them having conversations where you get to share the alternate what your values are in your house, in our house, you know? Yeah. I love that. Modeling gratitude for your own body is a really good one. Oh my gosh, there's so many other things that I could say on this topic, and I know that people are going to have so many questions about the earlier part of it with the division of feeding responsibility. So, what I'm going to say now is send us your questions. Yes, I was just we'll going to do another that. episode on it so we can go further. And I would leave you with the thought that the number one most helpful thing you can do to help raise your kids with food and body confidence is to consider your own relationship with food and your body, to examine your own biases, your own judgments, your own approach and beliefs around food and nutrition, because obviously we set the tone for our children. Think about how diet culture shows up in your home, how it's impacting you. And if you are making changes, just be upfront and let your kids know, you know what, maybe we used to call it that, but we're not going to anymore. And because mm-hmm. and, now I know that all foods are good foods, for example, or yep. whatever it is. So really modeling it is the best way to help your kids have a happy, healthy relationship with food and learning what you can do to support that would be super helpful. I love it. Thanks so much. This was super informative. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you like the show and you enjoy listening to it, we would be so, so grateful if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show and helps us spread the anti-diet whole health message. Thank you for joining
0: us for this episode of Wellness Rebranded. If you found this helpful, please take a moment and leave us a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about Mora, you can find her at her website, moratani.com. If you want to connect with me, find me on Instagram at Tara DeLeon Fitness. To connect with Elizabeth, visit her at www.elizabethharrisnutrition.com. And while you're there, follow the link to join her health and healing with intuitive eating community on Facebook.